It's Rusty Diamond, motherfucker. Yo, man. Boom. It's Rusty. What is up, everybody? It is Tuesday here in America. Pretty sure it's Tuesday. I gotta think about that. Yep, it's Tuesday. So welcome to the podcast, the public access podcast here on the Quantum Global Broadcasting Network, QGBN. I'm your host, Rusty Diamond. Thank you, everyone. I think I said thank you, everyone, for being here. You're getting thanked again, gosh darn it. So, yeah, we're here, and I think this might be the last show this week. The guy I was going to have on tomorrow told me that the government shut him down. So I don't know if that means that he can't talk about what he was going to come on and talk about, or he can't talk at all. I don't know. So this could be the last episode this week. So you guys... I'm bringing out a special guest for this possible last episode of the week. On a Tuesday, we have. Yeah, 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 yeah. Angie Sailor. I tried to stretch that out too much and it didn't quite work. Just I tried. I tried, but we have Angie Sailor here. There she is. Angie, how you doing? Great. Thank you. How are you today? Yeah, I'm I'm great. It's I uh, can't complain really too much today. Get to uh, go out and uh, it looks like, yeah, it cleared up some. I thought I was going to be, I'm trying to get out a few more times outside before it starts cooling off a little bit. So, you know, trying to get that going, but can only do so much, right? So, um but yeah, so you're you're out in Minnesota, right? Yes. All right. Uh, you've been you've been in Minnesota for a long time, or what's uh what's? Uh, I moved that? here um in 2013. I'm actually an Iowa girl. Oh, okay, right. Okay, yeah, my my favorite spot. Um, uh, so what what brought you up to Minnesota? Was it just uh the the right time to head up there? Um, my husband. Um is from Minnesota. And so he said that he was saving me from Iowa, but um, that's how I ended up in Minnesota. It's because he's from here, his family's from here. Okay. So yeah, not, not too far, uh, not too far from everything. Uh, but um, so let's see. So you were telling me this is your second podcast you've ever done, right? Yeah. So what was what was the first podcast you did? And how did you, um, you end up on that? Um, I was on a Facebook um, thread or whatever, and it was somebody who did podcasts regarding unique friendships. And so Heather, um, she's like my one of my closest best friends. Um, she happens to be my oldest son's stepmom. And so it's a very unique situation. Um, she married my oldest son's dad and um, through the years of lessons, chaos, I mean, you name it with myself and my son, her and I became best friends. And ironically, 
her husband and my husband are best friends. So we like go on vacations together. We spend a lot of time together. It's just one big extended family. So that's how we ended up. Her and I were both on this podcast together. Had she done a podcast before? No. Okay. So you both just decided to get into a Facebook group uh, about podcasts and yeah, it was, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't even, to be honest with you, I don't even know exactly how that all happened, but um, that's how it happened. Evidently it was meant to be. So it was fun. It was, it was fun doing that. Um, but I'm new to the podcast just so you know. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's all right. Um, you know, it's, it's good that more people are getting into it, getting into podcasting and it's, you know, it's better than having the good thing about it too, is you don't have to go anywhere. If you don't want to, you can stay stay at home and now that it's so easy to do video calls and stuff like that uh you don't have to go and try to meet with someone somewhere uh you know have them come to your house or your studio or whatever right kind of place or i've had somewhere i've met uh someone like in a coffee shop there was this one guy um and he had he made the, let's see. It, we, so we were in a coffee shop that was pretty loud, but he had uh, these boxes that he made that were with one, like the front side was open and he had like the, the egg carton uh, soundproofing thing and then a microphone in there in the middle. So it was a little better, but still, I mean, you got, there's a lot of background noise and, uh, in a coffee shop and so you know it was kind of hard to turn that out and have it sound right. as well as it could have but yeah we, we, we learned and but that was it, probably five years ago so you know thing, things have changed and I don't know if people still do that and they probably thought we were crazy you know two people sitting across from each other talking into boxes you, you know what what can you do? It's kind of uh, an interesting thing, but but yeah, now it's just you know, everyone kind of just be in their own place and can't really beat that. It's pretty nice being able to just I don't know, not have to try to do you know, set up everyone's equipment before each time and you know everyone can test their own stuff and it's just sort of get right on and go, which is a nice nice deal um has hosting ever hosting ever came a thing to you for hosting the podcast is that ever I mean, something I, you were looking at or i was i've i've thought about it i've i've tossed the idea around a little bit and i'm like i don't know but like like i i guess um if if that's something that's supposed to be in my future it will not at me for a while until i actually pay attention to it so we'll have to take a look look at things a little little ways down the road. Yeah, and I mean, it's pretty easy to do it. I mean, it's it's free. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, Spotify uh, has, yeah, there. You just go on there and uh, you have as much space as you need for uh, as many episodes and uh, you just need, you know, a computer. You need what you need to have right there. You have enough to do it. So if uh, that's something you want to do, you have the equipment to do it. So 
I don't know, but yeah. Um, yeah. So then, but so you're more of a writer than a podcaster, though, correct? Um, you know, I didn't really even think that I was a writer, Rusty, to be honest with you. Um, I speak all day long at my job. Um, I've done public speaking. So I think at the end of the day, I probably, my niche is probably more in speaking with people than writing, but I did write a book that's been very, very successful. So, and I'm kind of tossing around writing another one. So, um, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm just going to do a couple of things, um, you know, kind of jump into the deep water here and maybe venture out to a few other avenues. We'll have to wait and see. My my schedule is pretty busy right now, so. Even better. And with those public speaking, uh, is that one-on-ones or are they, are they like, uh, you know, going in front of crowds and speaking in front of crowds or, you know, going and what kind yeah. of uh, deal is that? So um, I do a little bit of everything. Um, I'm a licensed alcohol and drug counselor, so I do counseling. I've been a counselor for seven years now. So I do a lot of one-on-one speaking, uh, but not about myself, of course, about, you know, just individuals. But um, I have um, spoke at book signings. I've um, spoke at uh, prisons, at one prison, and I have a couple coming up. Um, I spoke at a behavioral board of health summit with professionals um so i i mean i've done a little bit of everything okay um and so sorry i feel like i'm gonna sneeze uh, um so are, are you then you said a, a drug and alcohol counselor does that mean that you are a, working with people who are there because the court told them they had to go to you or is this uh, people go to you because they they want to go to you or is it kind of combination of both or um, it's been a combination of both so right now so i used to work with um people who were like on probation or had CPS involvement. And, and I still work with a few of those individuals, but um, I'm right now I'm working in a residential program and it's um, it's like a private pay, self pay type thing. So it's a little higher end treatment center. Um, and a lot of the people that I work with have like successful jobs, you know, they have a lot of that kind of stuff going on for them. Um, to be honest with you, my favorite population are um, people to work with are people who um, have been at the very bottom of 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 their you know rock bottom. Um, people who have been in prison or coming out of prison or have lot you know I I have a passion um, to help anybody. To be quite honest with you, but um, I can just really relate to the rock bottom. I can really relate to losing everything in your life and um, trying to, to dig your way up. And um, my number one thing to do as a counselor is to give people hope. Yeah, and I mean, so what is it about the rock bottom that you know makes it? something that's uh you're most passionate about i mean with it being a rock bottom uh 
So, I mean, yeah, within rock bottom, I mean, there's nowhere to go but up. So, yeah, you know, that going, unless people think they hit rock bottom, but they don't. And there's still that. And does that happen sometimes? You got that too? You got people who oh, think yes. they're at rock bottom and then, oh, yes. oh there's a wrong. Yeah. Um, so there's generally a variety of things that get to a person to, to that point, right? Um, I, I personally experienced um, rock bottom. I personally experienced losing everything. And I mean everything in my life. Um, but I think that when somebody is at rock bottom, and they really want to try to get out of that. I feel like there's a different level of gratitude that's tied to that. When little things come along, you know, there's just like they're grateful for a lone pair of sweatpants or a ramen noodle or an opportunity to, um, you know, find some housing. I mean, the list goes on and on. And that that's that's just kind of a. It's just a, it's just a unique situation for me when I when I am able to guide somebody to a functional level working towards optimal in their recovery. That's just a because I what I do right now is I work with um, people who are at the dis dysfunctional stage. They come in going through the withdrawals, going through all of that stuff, and by the time they leave, they're just barely getting out of the woods. If that makes sense. I mean, so what do you do with the people who are in withdrawal? Do you have to, do you make them go to like a hospital first or do you have people on site that will do it? Because this, I mean, it's the only thing you can die from yeah. withdrawals is alcohol. Yeah. That's true. Um, or, and I think, I think also uh, barbiturates. I think you can also die from withdrawals of, from those. You know, the, the effects of um, just however much uh, substance the person has in their body and dehydration can be a play a factor. I mean, there's a lot of things that play a factor with that. Fentanyl seems to be the number one thing rolling around our area right now. And it's very, very uh, scary. Rolling around everywhere. Everywhere, yeah. Um, but we do have 24-7 nursing on our site. I work at Voltaire Recovery Institute. Um, and... Sometimes they will send them out dependent, but it's usually the alcohol piece. If somebody's really intoxicated and their BAC is, you know, up there a little ways, they will send them out and, and have them be um, in a hospital setting until they get to a point. But we do do have, we have like the withdrawal protocol and everything because we have 24 seven nursing staff at our facility. So what shift are you on when you're there? Um, I'm on first shift, but um, I work late on Tuesdays, so that's why I'm here today with you. Um, so I work, you know, 40, well, 40 to 45 hours a week. It just depends on what my caseload is. Um, and then I work one Saturday every four or five weeks and one holiday a year. So I'm usually there from 7.30 to 4.30 every day except for Tuesday. And so what, when you're doing Tuesday shifts, like what, what kind of shift is that? What kind of hours is that? Um, I'm supposed to start at 11 and get off around 7.30. Okay. So it's, it's, it's yeah. not bad. Yeah. It's not terrible. It's not like you're, you're starting when you get off normally. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it'll work for now. My goal is to eliminate late nights, weekends and holidays, and then we'll see what happens in the future. How would that work? Or how would that how would that look? Uh, 
if you're able to do I would that. work Monday through Friday or Monday through Thursday, 10 hour days, or it just depends. Um, I probably wouldn't work at the job that I'm at now, but in the future, I would like to find a job where I can eliminate um, nights, weekends, and holidays. So how would that work in a job where uh, you got people there all the time and always needing care? How would you, are there places um, like that that exist or is that something that's harder to find or what? I would work in an intensive outpatient program. I would I would move to a different format. So where it'd be like three days a week type of thing for like an outpatient. And then I would just do like individual sessions in between there. That's that's just, if I was to transition out of where I'm at right now, that's the next step that I would go to. So then are you signing off for these people that are in trouble? Um, are you like signing off for them like when they have to come in and uh, you have to bring the step back to their, whoever, the probation or parole officer. Are you signing off for them and you know, they got to be able to bring that paper back? I don't know if it's, if it's how it works uh, right now, but is it something like that? So what I'm hearing you say is like, if somebody is on probation, do I sign off on that? No, actually what I do is I work with the patient. I advocate for the patient. And I will report if they're on probation, I will report to the probation officer um, their progress and just like how things are going for them. And then um, try to collaborate the best aftercare option for the patient with like the probation officer. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I have to collaborate with them. Um, if the patient signs a release of information for them, that's the only way that I can, obviously, you know. But yeah, um, that's just all part of it. So you're not chasing down, you're not going out to trying to find these people outside of there that are in trouble and trying to bust them somewhere. Uh, Absolutely not. Okay. <laughs> that, yeah. They, that is. I, yeah. No. I, I've, I'm on I've the heard other some. end of it, Rusty. Okay. I'm on the other end of it. When somebody ends up in treatment and they need some help and guidance, I'm there to help them. I'm not there to make their life more miserable. Okay, because yeah, I, I've heard the uh, go to hanging out at all the bars and, you know, waiting for them to show up there or the, uh, what was the other place? There was, or, or else having to, if they're not showing up, checking the jail roster to see if that's where they are. Okay. You have to remember. So, so, so I, I mean, I, I struggled with meth for many, many years and I got myself caught up in a federal charge. Um, so I, I have been through a lot over the years and um, I went away and did, I got a mandatory minimum of five years federal prison sentence for manufacturing meth. So um, throughout that, throughout that journey, I learned a lot. Um, and then I had to go through six months mandatory halfway house and I was I mean there was just a lot of things with that so I experienced a lot of stuff personally and um, I would have to say there was only a couple of people throughout that journey that really had my best interest in mind the rest of them were like girl surgeons per se if that makes sense you know yeah. um, so I I my passion is a little bit different than that I, I'm not I, I'm there to help people if they want to be helped was this in Iowa that this happened, that you were there? Yeah. Uh, before I left, I had someone who was 
working for me and where were they from? They were from wherever Tom Arnold was from. And I don't remember where that was in Iowa, but uh, his brother say- was into something. His brother mm-hmm. was a, a big name in that and got, uh, yeah, I forgot what it was. Uh, I, I, I'm blanking it was, on it, but. It was probably right around the years 2003 through 2009. That's when all of that stuff really took off or blew up in, in Iowa. And What, but what no. was it? The reason for that, you think? Um, well, that's when a lot of people learned how to manufacture meth. And that was when Sudafed was, a, was at, during those years, that was when Sudafed was available. Like just in the store, right? It wasn't behind the counter yet. There wasn't regulations tied to it, and it became very easy. And there was a lot of people who was who were manufacturing meth, and it just it just turned into a really big problem. And I'm I mean I'm forever grateful for the people who told on me. When I got arrested the day, go ahead. When I got arrested the day I got arrested, I I thought my life was over. Like. I didn't have anything going like it was just really I was in a really dark place but as time went on I realized that I was one of the lucky ones and um I made the choice to change my life um I did a long-term treatment program called RDAP in federal prison and um during that time frame it really I utilized those tools and I still do to this day and it really just changed me to who I am today um so I'm grateful for the people who told on me but the day I got arrested, I wasn't. <laughs> huh. Who who was it who told on you? Was it someone that got off with a lighter sentence or got um um yeah, so there was there was nine of us on my federal indictment and um there were several people who, who told on me in um the federal grand jury. Um and you know, I'm not gonna mention any names, um, but I, I know um that the people who told on me, they did me a favor and I, I just wish them the best and hope that they can find their way out of the world of destruction like I did. Are they still in that, uh, in that world of whatever it um, may be? You know, I, I, I can't really say, cause I don't know for sure. Um, my guess is if, if you don't learn a really hard lesson, Rusty, you know, if you don't, if you don't have a really big consequence, it's hard to get out of that world. Yep. So and, I mean, there's not really a reason to get it out of that world if if you don't have a purpose right right so i mean so when you found that out i mean what what was going through your head were you you know were you pissed off were you out to you know wanting vengeance right away or were you at uh you know forget these people or um I don't know. I'll find someone on the inside to, you know, yeah. find them on the outside. So when I found all of this out, I, um, I, um, I had a lot of criminal thinking at the time, of course. Right. Yeah. Um, and both of my parents died right before I got arrested three months apart. And then my kids were out there fending for themselves. And so I had like all of this, all of my choices just piled in on top of me. And I sat in county jail for seven months down in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, before they moved oh. me. Wow. And, so I heard that's uh, worse than being in prison. 
that was that was the worst time. And during that time, all I had was my thoughts. And I, of course, I didn't have any meth. I didn't have anything to alter my mind or um, or or cover up my emotions. And I had all of these thoughts and plans in my head of how I was going to get even, what I was going to do. And all I did was feed this like rage inside of me. Um, and then when I finally got moved to the first federal prison that I was in, um, I, I, I could, I could preoccupy my mind. Like I went out and I would run the track and I would play softball and I just, I was able to just kind of lessen it. But all of those like premeditated thoughts of I'm going to get even with you, right? This is right. This isn't okay. We're there until I started the RDAP program. Um, about halfway through the art, I was really resistant to that because um, I didn't want to change. Um, I wanted to hold on to all of the things that weren't good for me. And I just wanted other people to hurt like I was hurting, if that makes sense. Um, but then halfway through that program, I realized that responsibility is a huge attitude that I needed to start paying attention to. And so right. taking responsibility for the role that I played in all of that was was a big deal. And that's when things just started changing for me. I'm like, you know what? They're, they're not worth the energy to me anymore. Um, and I just continued to do what I needed to do because everything I had done up prior to that did not work for me. I mean, like I, I ruined a lot of things and um, I didn't really think that there was a way out, Rusty, to be honest with you, but there was a way out. Um, and and I, I, I became very um, close with my higher power. Um, I didn't have any connection with God or Jesus. I didn't even, I never even went to church. I didn't know anything about that. But I had nothing else in my life, and I started going to Bible studies and just trying to find something that made sense to me. So um, the combination of my relationship with God and um, all of the tools that I learned there, I, it just all of those anger, resentments, and everything just dissipated. Okay. Well, that's, yeah, I mean, it's always good to get to that point where you know, you can find something that's going to work for you and everything works for everyone a little differently. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't even work. Right. Nothing works and you got to keep finding something else. Um, so side note, I was looking this up. Uh, so Lori Arnold, who was, uh, it was Tom Arnold's sister. Uh, right. Okay. So yeah. Um, Is it Otomo, Iowa? Uh, I believe so. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. That's where it is. Um, I, just, I just remember stuff from down there during that time frame. Yeah. And so, um, let's see. So then, okay. So you you found found out what was working for you, and you found out that during the Bible study that was kind of what. Well, I mean, was that your hope then? Was that kind of what you put everything into? Was just, was that, or I mean, did you, you know, give yourself all into that or did you, and you know, or did you keep the responsibility on yourself and have that? Or did you let the responsibility go totally that way? Or, or how did that look for you? So it didn't work very 
it, it wasn't a fast process. Let's just put it that way. Um, okay. Everything that I learned, like that I was learning through Bible study and stuff, there, there was just something kind of moving in me. But my mind said, this is just a coincidence. None of this makes sense until a lady named Judy, um, she sent me a letter and I didn't, I mean, I didn't know who Judy was. I remember that she was um, the mom of, of one of my classmates, but I didn't know who she was. And out of the blue, she sent me um, a letter while I was in county jail, um, her and a couple other ladies that were in a church together. And the one lady's grandson was on my middle son Brady's baseball team. Excuse me. And so they said, we've been following you in the papers and we noticed that you were in prison and we just want you to know that we're praying for you. And I'm like, what? Like, I mean, like, that that was foreign to me. I'm like, well, that's nice. But then this lady named Judy, she continued to write me. And during that time, I would have to say that there was a combination of things that build my that were building my faith. But Judy just never stopped writing me. She still to this day writes me. And she comes and we will go out for lunch and stuff. Um, but she was, when she would write me, she would just write, you know, hope things are going well, just talk about just daily life. And she always added a Bible verse to the letter. And it was very strange to me that the Bible verse was right intact with everything that was going on in my head at the time. And I'm like, this, oh, okay. this is... This is too cool. This is too much of a coincidence. But um, I want to say about a year and a half into my sentence, I realized that there really wasn't such a thing as coincidence anymore and that maybe this was going to work for me. So it took a while. It took a lot of um, patience and a lot of um, and then and then, you know, of course, my 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 one bunkie in, in prison, she was a very godly woman. She spoke God's word with confidence. Um, just when I when I look back, I see how just people were placed in my life along the way. And um, I just continue to fill that void. There's a huge void I had. I, I mean, I had a lot of guilt and shame, grief and loss, resentments, anger, you name it. And um, I just continued to fill that void because, I mean, I, I, I didn't have anywhere else to go but that, right? Right. So that's how I ended up um, writing my book um, after Here's My Book. Is that you? Yep. It's me okay. in a jail jail cell. Reenacted. So, okay, reenacted. Okay. So it wasn't someone... Uh... No, and there with you had, no, there's uh, no cameras or phones with the camera there's, yeah there's, there's usually probably a some but yeah yeah, yeah. They, they don't last very long in there <laughs> it doesn't take no. much for somebody to to find out about that stuff right and so then you wrote that while you were in there or once you were out no nope. i wrote this book um last let's see it was uh during over Christmas of 2021, it actually was published in May of 22. So it's been out um, a little over a year. Okay. Uh, yeah. And so, uh, so I, I have my questions. I like asking the writers. Um, so did you write that in like a outline form or did you just write it? Go, 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 not knowing where it's going to end. Like, uh, like a Stephen King book and just, I mean, I assume you weren't staying up for days on end at this point once you were, you were out of prison uh, and just writing, writing, writing. But um, 
did you have did you have an ending of where you wanted to get to or did you just and fill in the blanks or what how did that work so people have told me for years, you know, I would share just little bits and pieces to, you know, along the way. And people would say, Angie, you need to write a book. And I'd be like, I'm not an author. I don't, you know, I don't know how to write. And I was in between jobs. Um, and I truly think this was part of God's plan too, because I was in between jobs and it was like December through like February. Um, and I'm like, I'm maybe I should just start writing a book. And I, of course I prayed about it. Like, is this something that I, you know, cause I, I don't know how to write. Well, I do know how to write, but I didn't think that I did. I didn't have confidence in that. And my goal was to just write a book, um, write just my thoughts from the day that I got arrested until after I got out, I wanted to just write and I wanted to just copy it off and put it in my kids as baby books. That's what I was going to do. Oh, wow. um, okay. But I just I, I just sat down and started typing, typing, typing. And I mean, when I tell you, Rusty, it was just one big glob. Like there was no dialogue. I just type, 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 type. And I and it took me about a month and a half, believe it or not, to write my book. When my husband went to work at 530 in the morning, I was up writing, typing. Then I typed till he got home and I typed. That's what I did. And when I got everything that I needed to get out in this book, then I applied for a couple of jobs and started the job that I have right now. So, I mean, it all happened the way that it did. And then I'm like, I don't know what to do with this. Right. But yeah. here's the key during that time frame, it was very therapeutic and healing for me because there was a whole lot of stuff that happened throughout that journey that um, I don't think I really allowed myself to process fully. And I don't think I really allowed myself to feel the feelings with that. And that's one thing that I do. I allow myself to work through my emotions, feel the feelings I have, acknowledge, you know, things, accept it for what it is, whether I like it or not. And, and that's what I do. I move on. Um, so then I just ended up finding an, an editor by a Facebook. It, it just, all the pieces went together and my book has done very, very well. Um, it's on Amazon. And um, it, it's it's just in a format of me telling my story from that day um, that I got arrested, and it's kind of it's kind of ironic that a lot of people say, "Hey, will you write a book from all of the stuff prior to you getting arrested?" And I mean, I've had a lot of people reach out to me. They just want like the, you know, yep, you know what I mean. Yep. They want the they want all of that, and I'm like, you know, I don't really think that I that I don't think I'm going to go there for a couple of different reasons. <laughs> Um, I don't want to embarrass my kids any more than they've been embarrassed over the years, if they have been. I mean, I, they say that they're good, but in my mind as a mom, you know, and I don't really want to drag up all of that stuff because I truly believe what you feed your brain is what you're going to get. And I don't want to go there. So, yep. yeah, so that's, what I, that's how it came out. And and it turned out to be a, a good thing and and it's helped a lot of people. So, or so it, it reported to me, you know, it's been... <laughs> Right, you know, so and it sounds like you've worked through it, and it's not just something that's sitting there, you know, chewing at the back of your brain. Um, yes, I mean, it's okay if you leave it in the behind, you've processed through it, so yeah, you know, yeah, what's the, what's the big deal? Look forward, um, you know, why not? And so, where, where are people going to find the, you said it's on Amazon, yeah, it's on Amazon, um. Hope Dealer, A Way Out is what it's called under Angela Saylor. Um, then I do, I've done book signings. I've done book speaking engagements. Um, I'm actually 
been tossed around and this is probably the first many people are going to hear about this, but um, I'm really big into the CBT cognitive behavioral therapy. That's the, that's, that's the, that's the stuff that um, I learned in my long-term program. Right. Um, And so I, I, I teach that at my work um, and I'm very passionate and I truly believe that if you change your thoughts, you can change your world. So I'm tossing around writing a self-help book and I'm, I think that it's, that's going to happen within a year. Right. I'll do it. So get podcast guy said to do it. So you got to do it now. So. All right. Rusty, I'm going to yeah. put that on my calendar. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, that's how things work in this world. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Well then, so people can find you there. Um, go to the website. Do you have like a contact there for you or if they want to hold of you or, you know, if they want to have you yeah. speak or anything like that, like just find yeah. you there. Um, well, I have a website. Um, I'm actually doing some life coaching on the side, um, mindset co- life coaching. It's called the Hope Dealer Mindset co- Life Coach. Um, and you can find me at Angie Sailor at hope-dealer.com. So is there a hope-dealer.com website? I, I have my own, yes. Okay. So, all right. So they can go there then too. Yep. Okay. Excellent. Okay. Yeah, Angie, I had a great time talking with you and, you know, getting to hear everything and hear your story and get it out there into the world and get you to write another book. Now, <laughs> give you some, something else to do, something else on your plate. So, yeah, hopefully, yeah, something looking into the future rather than going back and dwelling on the past. What what are you going to do on the past? What can you really, nothing can really can't change. change the past. Yeah, you can change the can't future, change though. So, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, I Get get writing, get writing, get writing. And uh, yeah, and uh, I hope you have a great rest of your day. All right. Thank you, Rusty. Thanks for having me. Have a great day. Yeah, you're welcome. Enjoy like the three weeks of uh, perfect weather there that you got going. You're probably right in the middle of right now. So yes. uh, yeah. All right. Thank well, you. You, yep. Yep. Bye. All right. Angie Saylor. So thank you everyone so much for listening here on the Quantum Global Broadcast Network, QGBN, the public access podcast. And that is the show, man. Boom. It's Rusty Diamond, motherfucker. It's Rusty Diamond, motherfucker. Ernest! 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 <coughs> yes, Pee Wee. You brought the snacks, right? <laughs>